Can I get you to turn with me, please, to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 22, uh, either in your Bibles or in your Bible on your device, uh, or the order of service. Uh, it's all there in the order of service under our Old Testament reading. Uh, you can uh, uh, get the order of service from the uh, QR code that's in front of you, uh, or if you're joining us online, uh, from the YouTube page as well, right? Uh, 2 Samuel 22. And if we've got that... Let me lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you that you speak to us uh, by your spirit through your word. Uh, and we pray that you help us now as we uh, look at this passage together, uh, that, we would see, uh, that we would see Jesus uh, and love him and appreciate him, uh, and that you will be big in our minds and in our thoughts, um, and, uh, and therefore you'll lead us to love you and honor you uh, serve you and please you. So we commit this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most uh, popular cultural icons of our day is a young woman named Taylor Swift. Now, who here has heard of Taylor Swift? Put your hand up. Okay. More than the 7 a.m. service. Uh, who here listens to her music? Wow, quite a lot of you, huh? That's good. I've got to admit, I don't listen to her. Uh, but she does have a lot of fans, uh, some of whom are so devoted that they are called Swifties. Now, one of the things that people like about Taylor is that she writes songs about her own life. Now, most of her songs are about her experiences, the good things and the bad things that have happened to her uh, and the people that she was in relationship with. And so in a genre of music that is usually very generic, Taylor's songs are very personal. Our passage today is a song. It is written by King David. It captures various experiences of his life, and in particular, his very personal experience of Yahweh, the God of Israel, as his Savior. The song is a psalm. You can find it in the Psalter as Psalm 18. Uh, and we read part of it just now as, uh, in our psalm for this morning. Uh, but it's here today at the end of 2 Samuel to help us reflect on God as we look back on David's experience as it's been captured for us in 1 and 2 Samuel, the whole double book. Uh, David wrote the song, probably most of it, uh, prior to the things that we've been reading about this year. Uh, verse 1 tells us that the, he spoke to the Lord the words of the song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. You remember Saul? We looked at Saul, I think, back in 2020. Saul was David's predecessor. He was the king who kept on trying to kill David. And God kept saving David from him. Uh, and so part of the song is about that salvation. Uh, but it's not just Saul. We've seen David having many enemies over and over again and God rescuing him from them all. The last one, of course, being Absalom. And so David knew God, Yahweh, as his saviour, his rescuer. You know, whenever you see the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in the Old Testament, in our translation, that represents the Hebrew for Yahweh, God's personal name, his covenant name. And so the main theme of our song is in praise of Yahweh, David's Savior. David begins the song from the end of verse 2. The Lord, Yahweh, 
is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, my horn that is the strength of the okay? the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. God is David's protector. He is his security. David relates to God as savior. He says in verse 4, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. David cries to God. God rescues David. David praises God. Uh, David thinks back on one example of this. He doesn't recount it in prose. He, he, he writes poetically about what happened in a desperate situation and he called upon God. In verse 5, for the waves of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol, that is the grave, entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called from his temple, that is in heaven. He heard my voice and my cry came to his ears. When David cries to God, God saves David. And so David Got a picture God here is coming to save him with, with graphic imagery. Now, obviously not literal, it's, it's powerful poetic language. Verse 8. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Snow went up from his nostrils, devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flaying forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub, that's an angelic being, and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him, a canopy, thick darkness, gatherings of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High uttered his voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them, and lightning and routed them. That is the enemies. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. Picture of Yahweh, the great divine warrior, rending the heavens and coming quickly down in fire and earthquake and darkness and smoke like he did at Sinai. Parting the sea like he did when he rescued Israel from Egypt. And he does this to save David. And he's saying to David from Saul, from the other enemies, he set me on high, verse 17. He took me, he drew me out of many waters, rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Now, if you looked at this in person, it might have seemed pretty ordinary. David defeated his enemies. David escaped from Saul. David was saved from being obliged to go into battle with the Philistines against Israel. But David looks behind the scenes and poetically writes of the spiritual reality he sees the hand of God in his rescue again and again.
But why is Yahweh with David in this kind of way? Why does he come to his defense? Well, to start with, he's a God of justice. David says in verse 21, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him, kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. I suspect David wrote this before the Bathsheba and Uriah incident, but even so we know he was not perfect. So how can he be writing like this? Well, well David was not perfect, but, but he was godly and righteous. He was a man after God's own heart. He truly loved God and kept his commandments. That was evident in his character. He didn't kill Saul when he could have. Just an example of that. David was beyond reproach. God dealt with him that way. He says in verse 26, With the merciful you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man you show yourself blameless. With the purified you deal pure, purely. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. As David himself experienced later when he sinned. David's whole worldview was based on his relationship with God. He saw everything through the, through the lens of God's revelation. He says in verse 29, You are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. Everything seen through his light. And central to God's revelation to David was the fact that he is God's anointed king. In Hebrew, that's the Messiah. Later on, if you translate into Greek, the Christ. He's God's anointed king, chosen to save his people. And so he says in verse 30, For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. He's not saying he's Superman. Right? He's not being anointed by God's not like being bitten by a radioactive spider. Right? But uh, uh, being God's anointed does mean that God uses him in special ways to save his people. Uh, in the Old Testament model, his people were a nation. His land was a literal piece of land in the Middle East. His enemies were the, were the, the nations that attacked his people. And so God empowered David when he fought Goliath. And he did so again and again in his battles against the Philistines and others. But it's not just David who has been saved and protected by God. David says that all God's people who trust in God's promises find their protection and stability in him. Verse 31. This is God, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true, that's his promises. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. For all who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? In the end, Yahweh, God of Israel, 
is the one true source of security for all his people. And that includes you and me. But you know, you and I are not God's anointed king. And we're certainly not called to lead God's people in military battle. For we live in the reality, not the model. God's kingdom now is not an earthly kingdom. God's place is not an earthly place. And our enemies are not flesh and blood. But God is still our shield and rock. And if we trust God's promises to us, like David trusted God's promises to him, we will find our protection and stability in him. And we'll come to those promises towards the end of the sermon. In the meantime, David's song dwells on what Yahweh does for him to, to make him the military savior of his people. Verse 33. This God is my strong refuge. He has made my way blameless. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He sets me secure on the heights. Right? He's not going to fall down from the mountain. He trains my hand for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. He has given me a shield of salvation and your gentleness made me great. You gave me a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. God's protecting David. And so David can defeat his enemies, which are the enemies of God's people. Uh, verse 38, I pursued my enemies and destroyed them, did not turn back until they were consumed. I consumed them, I thrust them through so that they did not rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs on me. They turned around and ran away. Those who hated me, I destroyed them. They looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as the dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with my people. You kept me as the head of the nations. People who had not known me, I had not known, served me. Foreigners came cringing to me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart. They came trembling out of their fortresses. David's, David's victories that the Lord gave him meant not just Israel, but the nations around were impressed. And they came to David. And all this success of David, it's not David's doing. In the end, it's, it's Yahweh's doing. And so David gives God the glory. He says in verse 47, The Lord lives and Blessed be my rock, right? the one who gives stability. Be exalted, O God, my God, the rock of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me, who brought me out from my enemies. You exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the men of violence. God rescued David. For this, verse 50, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, that is, the Gentiles. Not just the people of Israel, the Gentiles. And sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David 
and his offspring forever. In the end, David knows that the victory comes from God's steadfast love to him. God promised David that his dynasty would last forever. Well, God promised David first that he would be king. Later, he promised him that his dynasty would last forever. And David knows that his salvation from his enemies and the ongoing favor that God showed him was a result of those promises. And God's faithfulness to him as king would lead to God being praised even among the Gentiles. So summary, David loves and thanks God because God rescued him from death. God chose him to be king and savior over his people, gave him victory over his enemies. God came to his aid because David was righteous. But in the end, it was God who did it, for God was faithful to his promises. Now these words were true for David. Even after the Bathsheba and Uriah incident, what David says about God is still right. God still dealt with him rightly, differently, but righteously when he failed to live up to what he wrote about beforehand here. God still kept his promises to him all the way in the end. But these words are even better placed on the lips of the one who never sinned, great David's greatest son. The Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost said that David was a prophet who, knowing that God had sworn on oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, foresaw and spoke about, about what? The resurrection of the Christ. Uh, true, Peter was quoting a different psalm uh, uh, at the time, but his point about David remains. He spoke about the real Christ. And it applies in these words as well. They are true of David, yes, to a point, but they are ultimately true of Jesus. David was part of the model. Jesus ushers in the reality. David was the anointed one. Jesus the truly anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. Jesus was not only rescued from dying like David, he was rescued from death itself. He wasn't just in danger of death, he was really dead. And God the Father rent the heavens and rescued him in the greatest possible way. And with his great almighty power, he raised him from death and exalted him on high. He gave him victory over his enemies, not the Philistines like David, but the ultimate enemies of God's people, of sin and Satan and death. And he did it because he's really just. Because Jesus was truly perfect, really, really innocent, not a hint of sin in him. Jesus is the ultimate chosen king over all God's people. His kingdom, unlike David's kingdom, is not of this world. But his kingdom continues from David's kingdom and will last forever. In Jesus, God has indeed brought great salvation to his king. And he shows his steadfast love to his anointed. And so in Romans 15 verses 8 and 9, which quote verse 50 of this passage, God's faithfulness to his promises in Christ results in the Gentiles, that's us, glorifying God for his mercy in fulfillment 
of David's words. And now, sisters and brothers, if we are those who trust in Christ, then in him, we also can echo these words. We have the righteousness of God in Christ. For when we trust in Christ, God unites us with him spiritually. We bring our sin, he brings his perfect life of righteousness, and we are together united. And he paid for our sin by dying for us on the cross, wiping that slate clean. And what we have left to share with him is his righteousness. On that basis, on the basis of Christ's righteousness, not ours, we know that God will rescue us. That he will raise us from the dead on that last day. And even though we die, we will not stay dead. God will rend the heavens and come down and pick us up. And in the end, we will stand victorious with Christ over sin and Satan and death and reign with him forever. And on that day, we will say, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation. And with all God's people down through the ages and across the world, from every tribe and language and nation, he will glorify God for his mercy. In the meantime, like David, in and of ourselves, we fall short. If the Spirit is working in us, then he is causing us to walk in God's ways, keeping us from guilt, changing us into Christ-likeness, giving us hearts that are hearts that are after God's own heart. Yet like David, we are in constant danger of falling. And like David, we sometimes sin and have to repent and come back to God. And sometimes, even though we are forgiven, we have to live with the consequences of that sin. But like David as well, our ultimate hope is in the promises of God. The God who was faithful to his promises to David will be faithful to his promises to us. He has not promised us military victory over our enemies. That was for David in his role as the anointed one in ancient Israel. But he has promised us that as we go through the joys and the tribulations of life, he will indeed work all things out, even the bad things, for our good and his glory. To make us more like Christ in this life and ultimately transform us into his glorious image in the next. He has promised to save us from our real enemies, Satan, sin, and from his own wrath in hell. He has promised to rescue us from the grave on the last day. And he has promised to give us an inheritance in our, prop, our true promised land. In a glory that will not spoil or perish or fade. And so in the ups and downs of this life, in the changes and chances of this fleeting world, let us cling to him. He is our rock. 
who gives us stability. He is our fortress who gives us safety. He is our deliverer who gives us salvation. We find our refuge in him. And so like David, we bless him, praise him, and exalt him. And tell the nations what a wonderful God we serve. Let's pray. O oh Lord, our rock, our fortress, our deliverer, a God in whom we take refuge, our shield, horn of our salvation, our Savior. Thank you for bringing us great salvation in Christ. Thank you for raising Christ from the dead, saving our anointed King. Thank you for saving us from sin through his death on our behalf. Thank you for rescuing us from darkness and bringing us into light, rescuing us from slavery to Satan, bringing us to the joy of being your children. Thank you that your spirit is with us day by day and that we can find our security in you. Thank you for keeping us trusting in your risen son through the storms of life that would threaten our faith. And thank you that you will raise us from death and give us our inheritance in the new creation. For this we praise you, O Lord, not only among your people, but among the nations. We sing praises to your name and speak of your goodness and glory. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and shall be forever. Amen.